0: All right. This is Greg Kimball. This is the Final Percent Podcast. We are in the middle of a miniseries. I'm starting to get a little scared of this miniseries because it's looking like we might go beyond six parts. I will do my best to keep it as succinct as possible with still doing the story some justice. But without further ado, this is part four of The Homeless Millionaire. So after saying this seemingly insane thing to the woman of my dreams, she kind of takes a long look at me and just begins to laugh and says, man, you really are crazy. Well, as crazy as I was, it was not the Hail Mary pass I was looking for because it didn't work. It didn't change anything. If anything, she might have thought that I was even crazier than before. But either way, our relationship started. Our relationship in business, our relationship in being friends, our relationship in music. And though neither one of us realized it at that point, we were looking at our future spouse. We didn't know the magnitude or the gravity of the situation. We could just tell that something special was happening. Something was different. I had just gone through something very catastrophic in my life and while she wasn't going through a divorce, she had gone through something equally catastrophic in the relationship department. So we were both a little torn and tattered in our hearts. And so we came into this cautiously. Even though I was more forward with my feelings, I was very vocal at the beginning saying that I was never going to get married again. There is no chance that I am ever going to give a woman my last name And there is no chance that I am ever going to trust that much again. Boy, was I wrong. Because she showed me what trust was. I always thought I knew what trust was, but I was never there with anybody. I never fully committed. I never fully trusted. And trust is one of those things if you can't fully give it, you're probably not going to fully get it. And from day one, I could feel her trust level with me was something I had never felt before. And it pulled a trust level out of me that I have never given before. So even in the beginning in our friendship, she was teaching me and molding me and making me into a better man. It's almost like she was a puzzle piece that I had been looking for my entire life because I also felt like she understood who I was, what I was capable of, and what I wanted to achieve. And she wanted to help me achieve those things, even as a friend. So when she came into my life as this puzzle piece, and I placed this puzzle piece into my big picture, my big puzzle, I can be honest with you that once I stepped back and looked at the picture that I was trying to create, with that piece in place, it was an entirely different picture. And I realized I was destined to do different things. And priorities started changing. Now, did they change overnight? Absolutely not. It was still a hard road ahead. But this was another critical moment for me realizing what I could be capable of. And it was so much more than me. It was so much more than who or what I can do, what I can be. And I realized that if I really want to do amazing things, I've got to find the right people. And she was another one of these rare people who loved me for just me. Not what I could do, not what I could do for somebody. But our relationship developed into something that I had never really felt before. But then again, she was able to open my eyes in ways that I had never had them open before. She was a person that was very similar to John Gillette and Austin Yule, who really just believed in me for the sake of me and sometimes in spite of me. So over the next few months, we develop this relationship and not a relationship like boyfriend, girlfriend, just this relationship of I've got your back kind of relationship. Like She would talk to me about a date she was going on. And I would talk to her about uh, a girl maybe I was thinking about seeing. But I think deep down, we both knew that we didn't want that. We wanted one another. We were just scared of the magnitude of love that was developing between us. And it got to the point to where every... I felt like a kid in high school. I felt like that that kid who would have his giant crush and anytime she would text me, or actually, anytime I would get a text, I was wishing it was her. I was hoping it was her. And it was getting to the point where I would text her, and and uh, if she didn't text me back right away, I'd get all self-conscious and insecure. You know when you're in that just puppy love, and you're trying to think of things just so you have a reason to text the someone? I mean, that was me. I... Was head over heels, but it was it was really weird because I was I was head over heels without realizing I was head over heels because she was literally becoming my best friend. I would talk to her about everything, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, anything that was scaring the crap out of me. Just literally everything. And we get to talking and we're going back and forth and we say, okay, fine. You know what? we kind of started talking over this music thing. Let's fly you up to Denver and let's just kind of see what happens. Let's, let's record something. Let's make some music and let's just see how it goes. And so she flies up. We work on a few songs and actually John wrote two of the songs and did a wonderful job and she got to meet him. And, and it was funny because I was, I was talking to John. I said, okay, well, we're bringing up this uh, potential client and, Blah, 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 blah. I need you to be really professional. And, and he calls me out. He's, you know, you're in love, right? No, I'm <laughs> I'm not in love. What are you talking about? I, could, I couldn't even, I can't even stop from smiling right now. <laughs> so I'll say, no, I'm not in love. He said, BS, man. And so we we do the project, but I'll tell you at this point, because she was staying with her, her aunt and uncle happened to live up here. So she was staying with them and I'd pick her up every day, take her to the studio then drop her off. And this is where I realized that all of the emotion when I'm saying I was head over heels but didn't realize it, now I'm starting to realize that I'm head over heels, like I'm in trouble. And I start kind of dropping hints and, and, and giving the inkling that, hey, you know what, I might be interested in you. And man, she is still shutting me down. Like there is no tomorrow. I'm going, man, maybe I really have no shot. But if there's one thing about me, I am a... Model of perseverance. I am relentless, and I just knew that my soulmate. After after I put her on that plane, after we did those three songs, and I drove away, I knew that it, it felt like a part of my soul had gotten on a plane and flown away from me. I'm not kidding. I know it sounds cheesy, but I'm not talking to anybody about these feelings because. I still feel like I have some mud on my face from the whole divorce fiasco because I mean, I got into that relationship after knowing her for three weeks. I mean, I married someone after knowing them for three weeks because I was trying to fill a void. I was trying to make my heart complete, but I can be honest with you. I, I, have, I had never felt these feelings before and so I am trying to fight them and, and I started kind of talking to my mom and my mom was saying, well, you know, you might be in trouble. I can tell. I can just hear it in your voice. I can hear the way you're talking about her. Um, you're, Craig. You're in love. And I said, "Man, I am, aren't I? Oh my god!" And I'm thinking, what What am I gonna do? This girl just spent the last five days when she was in Denver, shutting me down. Every time because I mean all of our other communication is is through text and, and over the phone because I mean she lived in Phoenix I lived in Denver and I would only see her in passing when I was having to go to LA or Phoenix and even when I would only have to go to LA I would like purposely get layovers in Phoenix so I'd have a reason to see her I mean I would rearrange my life just so that I could have an extra hour with her. 30 minutes with her. If it was a whole day, that's incredible. But I just start realizing, you know what? I know. You know what? There's there's three words that are more powerful than I love you. And it's when you can look at someone and against all odds, when people are saying, well, why? Why do you need that person in your life? Why do you? You just look at them. You say, I just know. I just know are more powerful than I love you because you can fall in and out of love. And what I had realized at this moment was, I don't know if I've ever been in love. Now, just to be clear, I have loved people, I have been loved in return. But I think being in love is such a different experience. I think it takes the right chemistry, the right people, the right experience, the right environment. There's so many factors that have to kind of click and go right, and maybe a little bit of a divine sprinkle in there. But I really think that to be in love with someone, I mean, we're talking about a part of your soul connecting with another part of your soul. You know what I mean? Like, you are one person. And that's what I, I I finally feel that for the very first time. I'm not kidding. It was the very first time. Have I said I love you to other girls? Absolutely. And I did love them. But for the first time, I'm, I'm in love. I know I am in love. And I mean, to help you understand it, I think, I mean, you can love your friends. You're not in love with your friends. And I'm in love. And so we start talking a little bit more about the company and our dreams and our hopes. And we we start talking about business. I mean, this is why I started really, I think the reason I started really falling in love with this girl is, I mean, she challenges me in a way, intellectually, I've just never been challenged. And I mean, she's bringing ideas up and she's looking at things. So in, in such great ways, I'm going, man, I wish I could run this company with you. And I tell her, I'm like, I feel like you're like the glue that could hold my company together. I feel like I'm a kite and you're an anchor. And uh, she kind of makes a joke and she says, well, maybe I should quit my job and just come up to Denver. And I was like, all right, cool. When, uh, when you want to make that happen? And She's like, ah, ha, ha, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But then, you know what? She's not the kind of girl to just kind of joke about that. There's some sort of thought that has happened that kind of opened the door. And so I was like, well, let's just talk about that. I mean, let's let's build something together. She says, well, I mean, I would just want to keep it business, and I would I would want to keep it professional. And, and I'm like, that's, that's fine. But I mean, is that something you're interested in? Because honestly, I would love to work with you. And she says, well, I mean, actually, maybe. I mean, so for the next probably month, two months, I mean, we've already been kind of going back and forth and I'd been visiting her and we'd become great friends over, say, probably the last seven months or so. Um, but the next two months were so critical because we start making real decisions that are moving towards her moving up here. And then we actually, we make the decision. We She said, you know, what, I'm I'm moving up there. Let's do this. I'm going to help you build this company. I'm going to help you uh, solidify things. And, and we're going to do this. And for the first time in my life, I mean, I have someone who is believing in my dream as much as I do. And so I say to her on the phone, I say, I've never, I've never had anyone believe in my dreams in this way. I've never had anyone just believe in me. This way. Like, how? How? And she said, Greg, they're not your dreams anymore. They're our dreams. And so I tell her, I say, look, if you're moving up here, I'm going to personally come in, help you pack, and I will drive you up here myself. And she says, you're insane. And I said, well, you've said that before. And so she actually says, okay. So she flies into Denver. We get in my, uh, SUV, and we drive to Arizona together, all the while getting to know each other even more. And we pack her stuff up, and we visit her family, and we visit all of her friends. We're there for about three days, but this is where her change happened. In those three days of us experiencing her family and her friends, and us hanging out, and we're realistically starting this journey together. I mean, she's taking... A huge leap of faith. She's jumping off the mountain. She doesn't even know if there's a parachute yet. But we fall in love in these three days, and maybe that's a bad way to say it because maybe she just finally took her blindfold off. Because I knew I, I already, I was in love. But we were unlocking parts of one another that we had never experienced before, and so we went out to a place called Raw that is a sushi place with all of her friends as she's saying goodbye. And this is kind of her farewell get together. And a lot of her friends are rightfully skeptical of the whole situation. But that night, everyone got to know me and saw the look in her eye. And every one of her friends realized what was going on. She wasn't moving up there for a business opportunity. Yes, that was kindling in the fire. Yes, that was part of it. But she was moving up to complete her soul. And I was down there to bring my soul back. And on that night, we had an incredible time with her friends, an incredible time with her family. And after we realized what was going on, the romantic dialogue started. And our first kiss happened that night. I think then we realized that we were in for a little bit more than we bargained for bringing her up there because it does complicate things a little bit, but there was so much emotional energy behind that first kiss that it opened a door in my mind and my heart that I didn't even know existed. That first kiss was something that would make a fairy tale wonder why they're being so sappy. And I'm telling you, when her lips met mine, music was playing. Our souls were dancing. And there was that cinematic moment that made me realize that I really am just getting started. This was the start of why I am on Earth because I knew in every fiber of my being, when we came into contact, that I was literally made to love her. So the very next day, when we got in our vehicles, I was driving an SUV, pulling a U-Haul full of all of her things. She was following in a car. And this drive starts, and this is the best one yet. And I realized that Somehow, Arizona and Colorado were connected. I still haven't figured that one out. But each drive, my life got better. There was more opportunity. And it was because when the opportunities came, I was willing to put in the work. There's not very many guys who would say, hey, I'm going to drive down there, pack you up and bring you back and help you relocate. But it's that opportunity when it comes. Are you willing to take it? Now, whether it was God, the universe, our spirits, our hearts, our love, destiny, fate, I don't know. But when the opportunity for true love came, I took it. And there's something to be said with Seize the Day. Try to make the most out of each moment because you're never going to get that moment back. And because of that way of living, I've been able to create the most amazing moments that I never even thought were possible in real life with my wife. And we embarked on this journey together. And she was my missing piece. She was the person who could challenge me, to rein me in, to make sure that I was doing right by us and the company. Because I trust her. I respect her. And she immediately made me a better leader, a better person, a better man, a better son. And she was, and is, the huge part of my life that grounds me. And at that moment, I realized I had never been grounded before. I didn't know what real roots were because, like so many other young kids, I had come from a very broken home. I actually went through the divorce of my parents and watching my brother try to run my father over with a car and watching a fight that ensued that was realistically on both of them. They were both being aggressive alpha males towards one another. It scared my family so much, and it left so much scar tissue on all of our hearts. And I was only 10 when that happened, but when I was 13, my parents finally got a divorce. And I actually went and lived with my brother for a little bit, and then I bounced around and lived with my dad and his new girlfriend. And I lived with my mom and her boyfriend. And I lived in a car with her. And then I lived in a uh, pop-up camper with uh, her and her boyfriend. And then we lived in the back of a laundromat for a little bit. I know that sounds weird, but it's the truth. And then we lived in the back of a store where my mom and her boyfriend at the time decided to get a retail shop to where he could sell leather goods in Wickenburg, Arizona, of all places. And that's kind of where I settled on my high school career. And Even though I had to deal with sleeping in a car and sleeping in a camper in the back of a store in the back of a laundromat and doing all of these things, at least I was in the same place for more than six months. I had the same friends. I wasn't constantly restarting back in my high school career in my teenage years. And my dad found out how we were living and He finally helped us get into a house. And then in that time, my mom's boyfriend became extremely abusive and started strangling my mother and hitting my mom. And I'd come out to them fighting constantly. They were yelling constantly. And One time when he didn't know that I was home and I had started on the football team and weight training and I'd gotten much bigger because I was kind of tired of this behavior. I opened my door after a loud crash happened and I saw his hands around my mother's neck. I went running after him with a baseball bat. and I did what any kid would do, and I kicked him out of the house. And then when I was 15 or 16, I can't remember when this was going on, I went and got a job, and I started helping with the bills of the house. But I was still that wild kid when I was 15, running around. But I helped out as much as I could, but I was still a bad kid. I mean, I would... I would just take my mom's car and drive into Phoenix, which was 50 miles away, and I only had my learner's permit. And then she'd call me saying, I need to go to work. And I'd say, ah, well, I'm in Phoenix, deal with it. I mean, even though, yes, I stepped up and I tried to be the man then, I was—I still had that wild side. I just could not be grounded. And just to let you know, back then, I think the reason I was doing it is I think I was feeling entitled. I was saying, okay, well, if I'm the man of the house, then I can make these decisions but I'm not mature enough to make those decisions. I I think just because I'm helping out, I can make decisions like an adult. And so I just, I didn't have good examples around me. I couldn't manage money. I couldn't manage time. I was getting bad grades. I was doing whatever I wanted because I thought I was already an adult. Now, the reason why I'm taking this detour to tell you a little bit about my childhood is I just didn't know what it was like to be grounded. I had no roots. I didn't know what it was like to say, hey, you know what, this is my home. I didn't know what it was like to see mom and dad together without them fighting. I didn't know what it was like to not be manipulated constantly. I didn't know what it was like without physical and verbal abuse so prevalent all around you. So I just was always moving. I was running away or I was running to something. God knows what it was, but I knew I just had to run. And for the first time, because of this new, beautiful relationship with Kayla, I didn't want to run anymore. I wanted to build. And realizing that I was ready and I made that mental shift and that maturity kicked in. And again, was it overnight? Absolutely not. But I knew something, my why shifted, why I was on this planet. Why I got out of bed in the morning, shifted. And for the first time in my life, I wanted to build. And when we got back to Denver after that drive, I started building. And I'm telling you, laying that foundation and realizing that I had never actually laid the foundation before, I was too caught up with what people thought of me or what they thought I was doing, or what they thought I was worth, or what they thought I had. No one knew that I actually didn't have anything. I was more scared than they were. But for the first time, brick by brick, I started building, building something real, building something tangible in my mind, in my heart, in my relationship, and in my business. Thank you so much for listening to part four of The Homeless Millionaire. Yes, I think we are going to go above a six-part series. We already expanded it from a five-part series, but you know what? There's a lot of story here, and I think it's gonna help a lot of people. And right now, reliving all of these moments of my life, it's helping me. So if you wanna hear what our first brick was, if you wanna hear the foundation that we actually started laying down, Stop by tomorrow for part five. And oh my God, a huge shout out to Lights Edison for constantly uh, listening to this podcast and repping the podcast. Felix, thank you so much. John Gillette, thank you so much. You guys are rock stars. My wife, of course. Thank you, babe. You are my inspiration. This episode was dedicated to you and your love and encouragement. Oh my God, thank you so much.